0: Section 17 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matt Stevens. The World Story, Volume 11. Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Edward by Ava March Tappan, Section 17, In the Days of Frontenac, 1672-1698, to 1698, by Reverend J. O. Miller. Louis de Bois, Comte de Frontenac, was the godson of Louis the Thirteenth of France. He was born in 1620, and lived at court until he was 15 years of age, when he went to the war in Holland to serve under the Prince of Orange. For the next thirteen years he was constantly engaged in fighting. He was made Colonel at twenty-three, and Brigadier General at twenty-six. In 1648 he married a high-spirited lady of the court, but Frontenac's temper made him a difficult person to live with, and his wife soon separated from him. For several years he lived a somewhat reckless life, and wasted what wealth he had. In 1669 he made a considerable military reputation in commanding the Venetian troops against the Turks. In 1672 the king appointed him governor of New France. Frontenac came to Canada a ruined man. He at once set to work to repair his shattered fortune. He built Fort Frontenac in order to monopolize part of the fur trade and, naturally, made many enemies. The first ten years of his rule in Canada was taken up with violent quarrels with the intendant, the bishop, and other officials, so that in 1682 the king was obliged to recall him. During the years of his retirement, the colony of New France dwindled away. The growing power of the Iroquois made them a terror to the French as well as to the Canadian Indians. Armed by the Dutch, they became irresistible in war, and almost destroyed the Western tribes who traded with the French the town of quebec was also ruined for some years by a disastrous fire and its trade paralyzed by the eastern iroquois feeling their power it became the purpose of the iroquois nation to divert all the fur trade through their own territory to the dutch and english this was the secret of la salle's failure to plant colonies on the illinois and mississippi frontenac had before he left canada obtained great influence with the iroquois and had tried to stem their yearly encroachments that he retired just when he was most needed, succeeding governors made war upon the Iroquois, but without other result than stirring them to revenge in August sixteen eighty nine A large war party descended in the night upon Lachine and began a frightful massacre of the inhabitants. They set all the houses on fire and butchered men, women, and children. Two hundred were fortunate enough to be slain on the spot, but one hundred and twenty were carried off. On the next night, the Iroquois were seen at their campfires, torturing, roasting, and devouring their captives. Most of them, however, were distributed among the Indian villages and there tortured for the amusement of their captors. There was despair in the French colony. Trade ceased, famine threatened, James II of England had been succeeded by William of Orange, and there was war between England and France, and no help was forthcoming for the stricken colony frontenac was again made governor of canada he arrived at montreal soon after the massacre of the settlers to his dismay he learned that the fort at niagara and his own fort frontenac had been destroyed by his predecessor he wrote home so desperate are the needs of the colony and so great the contempt with which the iroquois regard it that it almost needs a miracle either to carry on war or make peace nevertheless though he was now seventy years old He set to work with all his former vigour to retrieve the losses the colony had suffered. His first object was to restore his influence with the Iroquois, but they were now too deeply involved with the English and Dutch, and treated his embassies with disdain. There was nothing left but to show them that the power of France was still supreme. With great boldness he planned three attacks upon the English. The first, consisting of about 200 men, was sent to strike at Albany. It set out on snowshoes in the depth of winter, and after an arduous march, reached Genactati in February 1690. A night attack took the terrified inhabitants by surprise. Sixty persons were put to death and nearly a hundred captured. The Iroquois prisoners were treated with kindness and released, in order to bring the waverers over to the French side. The victors, laden with booty, made a safe return. The second expedition left three rivers for New Hampshire at the end of January. It numbered barely fifty in all, and spent three months trekking through the wintry wilderness of Maine. At the end of March, it reached the settlement of Salmon Falls, where was the fortified house with two stockade forts. About thirty New Englanders were slain, and fifty-four made prisoners while returning it was overtaken by a force of one hundred and fifty but beat them back and continued on its way home until it met frontenac's third war party going from quebec to attack the english at fort loyal now the city of portland this place was besieged and taken after a stubborn defence and a large number of the luckless inhabitants were massacred by the indians these successes roused the drooping spirits of the french and made them eager to follow frontenac's lead But the Iroquois did not submit as he had hoped. They succeeded in getting the English to join them in a combined attack upon Canada. Montreal was to be attacked by land and Quebec by sea. The force intended for the invasion by land gathered at Albany and slowly made its way up Lake Champlain. But it was attacked by dysentery and smallpox, and its effective numbers daily decreased. Frontenac was awaiting the enemy at Montreal. When a great band of friendly Indians from the far west arrived, laden with furs, it was a grand triumph for the governor to have succeeded once more in opening the great avenue of trade. He made a solemn treaty with the Indians, and ratified it by seizing a hatchet, singing the war song, and dancing the war dance. It was the first time a governor had put off his dignity and placed himself on a level with the chiefs. But it had a marvellous effect. They all swore to be true to the death. In a few days came another glad surprise the english expedition harassed by the smallpox and the quarrels of its chiefs melted away frontenac now hastened to meet a new danger at quebec sir william phipps had arrived with a fleet of 34 ships coming round from boston and retaking fort loyal on his way he expected quebec to fall without much resistance but frontenac had spent the previous winter in fortifying the place on all sides and treated with contempt to summons to surrender the attack was carried on for several days with great boldness but phipps knew nothing of the art of war and frontenac though old in years fought with all the vigour of youth and had lost nothing of the military prowess that in earlier days had won him a european reputation when phipps had expended all his ammunition he found himself no nearer success than when he began and after a week's fruitless fighting he was obliged to sail for home frontenac was hailed as the saviour of canada and was rewarded by the king next year he had still much fighting to do against the swarming iroquois war-parties but his men were so filled with enthusiasm for and belief in the governor that they drove the savages back at all points and once more a great fleet of canoes laden with furs brought prosperity and happiness to montreal frontenac was called father of the people preserver of the country the great military governor had been fighting all his life and he was to fight to the end after all danger of invasion had passed war was still waged in the east for possession of acadia and new finland and the west for control of the fur trade upon which the very existence of the colony depended in acadia the french were assisted by the friendly abenaki indians and after varying successes on the part of english and french both by land and sea the country remained in the hands of the latter iberville conquered newfoundland and drove the english from hudson bay so that the fur trade in the north was for the time being protected and extended frontenac's chief anxiety centred in the great west so long as the power of the iroquois supported by the english remained unbroken the fur trade was in danger and upon it depended the existence of the french possessions in north america he determined to strike a blow at the heart of the iroquois confederacy on the fourth of july sixteen ninety six he set out from montreal with over two thousand men he crossed lake ontario from fort frontenac and marched to the fortified town of onondaga the present city of syracuse the aged governor seventy-six years old was carried in an armchair From which he directed the operations the savages would not stand to fight but set fire to their towns and fled after devastating the country and taking many prisoners frontenac returned from his last fight in triumph the result was far-reaching iroquois depredations came to an end and though frontenac did not live to see a treaty of peace signed by them it was the first work accomplished by his successor his health now rapidly failed, and late in the year 1698 he was seized with a mortal illness. He died in Quebec on the 28th of November. One who knew him well wrote, He was the love and delight of New France. Churchmen honoured him for his piety, nobles esteemed him for his valour, merchants respected him for his equity, and the people loved him for his kindness. End of section 17. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Matt Stevens.